sir! Oh yes! Hell. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta have a crisper, a crisper intro than that. It's oh. gotta be better than that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first edition of Welcome to, to Thunderdome, Thunder the podcast where we work our way through all of WCW's greatest show of all time, and that is The B Show. Uh, I'm Andrew Jones, a lifelong wrestling fan, Mark, uh, general nerd, and uh, my co-host here, uh, Nicholas Serretta, everybody. That's me. I am also a longtime wrestling fan. I was mostly a, uh, a WWE, was WWF too. kid. I did. I was too. And there was a certain point where I saw WCW as kind of like the, the not only the B show, but like the B promotion, you know? So even when oh, WCW sure. was like good, I just had no interest in watching it because I was a child. Yeah. So this is going to be a first watch through for most of this for me. I'm very excited. Yeah, uh, all of these episodes are first, we're watching them for the first time. Yeah, so you guys are going to be able to go on the journey along with us as we witness uh, the greats, the not-so-greats, the highs, the lows, the ins, the outs, the what-have-yous of uh, WCW's uh, potentially, would you say, ill-advised foray into another three hours of TV every week? Actually, I would say this is like peak WCW. Um, WC, WCW Thunder, uh, coming from a very interesting place at this point in time by 1998, uh, WCW was kind of about, I would say, as big as they had ever gotten. Like, this is kind of like what we're having right now, we're switching between NXT and AEW. And AEW. Yeah. Uh, if we're going to go back in time a little bit, a little, oh, little history lesson here for please, you. Please. Eric Bischoff originally did not want to produce another two-hour show. <laughs> Of WCW, uh, he said that there were a variety of reasons. Time Warner, obviously the company that owns WCW, they were on a hiring freeze, which prevented Eric Bischoff from bringing in any additional production people to run the show. Secondly, and I would say he was sort of prescient here, Eric Bischoff felt WCW did not have enough talent to produce another show <laughs> and risked overexposing them and making storylines less significant. Nick, do you think that happened? Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll find that out soon enough. I mean, is it a spoiler to say that this episode isn't good? Is that giving anything away? <laughs> oh, Andrew. The, it's not good. It's really not good at all. The thing is, like, because you have... First of all, this will probably not only be our first episode, but probably our longest. This episode has a runtime, uh, according to the WWE Network, 2 hours, 21 minutes, and 19 seconds. Now, Nick... How much of that two hours, 21 minutes, and 19 seconds is wrestling? Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> it depends! Because in the middle of this show is, like, a buckwild UFC-adjacent... Like, we're watching UFC negative one and a half with... There is so much wackadoo shit on yeah. Thunder. None of it, like, good or engaging, but just, if you're interested in... Strange wrestling coming from a major American promotion. There really is you can't do any better no. than than some of these episodes of Thunder. So, um, what do you think is a good place to run down here? So, Starcade '97 just happened, and the main event was Sting versus Hogan. This episode of Thunder, first one, January eighth, nineteen ninety eight. We're think about it like now a year and a half removed from the forming of the NWO, which was July seventh, nineteen ninety six, at Bash the Beach. 
This is when NWO is like at their peak. Oh yes, swinging dick. Yeah. You know, it's less Nitro and more the NWO show. This is around the time when WCW was fighting off like the forces of NWO. Kind of like Bullet Club, how they took over New Japan for a bit. Yeah, and you gotta remember too, I think, this kind of thing had never really happened before, where a faction had gone so popular to the degree that there were genuine rumblings of like, should this just be the whole show now? Right. You know, is NWO what WCW is now? I think because there's so much shit packed into, like, the WCW product in general, Thunder is made to kind of just get everybody up to speed on stuff like uh, next week's episode of Nitro or Thunder exclusive matches, which matches is, again, a very loose term because we have two long, bizarre series of events. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, yeah, I promise we won't get too ahead of ourselves because we have a lot to talk about. Uh, I have some interesting notes here. Oh, lay, lay on some uh, interesting tidbits before we dive right into the episode, Nick. On this day, January 8th, in 1796, George Washington delivers the first State of the Union. Important. 1958, the Cuban Revolution, uh, Revolutionary Forces captures Havana. Historical. 1978, Harvey Milk becomes the first openly gay person elected to office. Uh, 1993, NBC offers The Tonight Show to David Letterman. Also in 1993, Michael Jordan scores his 20,000th point in his 620th game. Wow. And also, uh, uh, not to go back a little, but 1992, this is the day where uh, George H.W. Bush vomits on Japanese Prime Minister oh Kichi Maezawa's lap, and he oh faints right in front of him. God. This is great. Do you think that's what set Yokozuna off for like his whole rampage so, with the, the, disrespect <laughs> the disrespect shown by our president to his country? Yoko would have eaten that sushi. He would have kept fucking going. 1992, incidentally, year I was born. So I was not watching wrestling in 1992. Probably not. I was, I was, uh, months old, you know. So we're about there. Now that we talked about, like, memories of WCW and where, you know, where we are and, yeah, thank you again very much for taking this trip with us. Uh, what are you drinking there, Andrew? I am drinking the king of wrestling beers, the Two-Hearted Ale by Bells. Uh, it has nothing to do with wrestling in particular, but it is a beer and I'm thirsty, so we're going to be drinking that during this. It's funny, actually, in a lot of ways, I don't know if you noticed, but I certainly did notice, it reminded me of the new episodes of NWA Power that are going on, oh, where it's yeah. like one, maybe two live, real wrestling matches, then you'll get a recap of something that happened weeks ago on a pay-per-view, and then you'll get a bunch of interviews, and then maybe another match at the end of it. Let's just say, I don't know how much of a reason this show has to exist, <laughs> and the first episode of it does not do a great uh, job of, you know, justifying its existence. And the NWO have completely completely taken over the promotion. Oh yeah. Like everybody's got an NWO piece of merch. Everybody is there to see the NWO wrestlers. They have destroyed this company. So let's start this show. We are coming off Starcade 97, which happened, I believe, December 29th, 1997. Mm, so here. The first two minutes, boy, oh boy, we have Bobby Heenan, Lee Marshall, and Tony Giovanni. Oh, the heavy hitters. Lee Marshall, uh, for those of you keeping score at home, he did announcing for Women of Wrestling. Yes, he did. He's uh, another kind of schmucky, like... You could tell they needed a third for the third man team. So, like, you've got Shivani as, like, the play-by-play -play guy. Heenan is your classic heel announcer. And Lee Marshall is there, too. 
He's got a voice like butter. He does. Yeah, he's been around a long time, and he's dead now. But uh, you know, he, he <laughs> well, he's not around anymore. But he certainly made the rounds in the professional wrestling scene mm-hmm. for sure. So, do you think uh, it was a requirement for all of them to have perfectly clean-shaved faces? And Lee Marshall said, "Fuck that," because he has a mustache like a used car salesman. <laughs> he looks like he auditioned to play Super Mario on the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, and they were like, "No, you look too Italian." <laughs> He actually does look like Tom Selleck, and he was, like, inflated by 50 pounds. He looks like if Tom Selleck never got famous. Never hit the gym, didn't land Magnum P.I., and just <laughs> now it's for wrestling for 20 years. It's not like the Yankees where they have a certain facial hair length requirement, but uh, it, we have Tony Schiavone's, like, proto-mullet. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's 1998, so there's a part of him that's like, all right, the mullet's out of style at this point, but you want to know what? I'm in wrestling, so, you know, what's, like, the professional mullet? How long down can it go before you can stop showing up to an office meeting? And Tony Schiavone <laughs> is cresting that line. Oh, yeah. With that awesome mullet comes awesome news in the oh, show. I thought you were going to say awesome responsibility. Well, awesome responsibility to tell us about uh, pretty cool matches coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Schiavone tells us about uh, DDP and Kevin Nash's... U.S. Championship match at the end of this show. So yes. this is like the main event of this show. is yes. pretty dope. Brain teases Eric Bischoff versus Larry Zbysko. Classic. Larry Zbysko with his weird little arm. <laughs> his little atrophied arm, yeah. It's so awful, I'm sorry. That, that's all right. It is distracting, though. You can't say that it's not. Nick, what do we make of Bobby the Brain Heenan's pumpkin-colored shirt? It's, uh, it, he could direct traffic in that shirt. There's a part of me that's wondering if he's wearing it because he's a heel and he knows it's going to get heat, or if he looked at that in the mirror and said, You won't be able to see me from Space. Especially with old uh, tube TVs. Yeah, the like CRTs, that. yeah. Yeah, my God, that must have been. It pops. Right. It pops. So now we cut to a recap. And whenever they cut to a recap, there's like a thunderbolt. Yeah, did you think it looked like the uh, the flux capacitor from yes. Back to the Future? It's the three lightning bolts going in the middle, but they, yeah, they do it like a like a George Lucas wipe in between segments. So we move from our three-man announced team sort of running down, it's the first episode of Thunder, and we immediately cut to Hollywood Hulk Hogan stepping out of his limousine with the rest of the NWO. The murderers run. Yeah of wrestling megastars. By 1998, they have most certainly added to their numbers. Like, what was just Hogan, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall now has guys like Mr. Perfect. Conan. Conan. Macho Man. And important wrestling figures as Buff Bagwell. Oh, they do got Buff. Yes, Buffy is in this. He's got the stuff. What that stuff is, I shudder to think, but... Yeah, apparently enough stuff for porn, because that's what happened. Lots of stuff. He is stuffed with Viagra. Buff Bagwell, fucking get at me. You won't listen to this, I know. Uh, And it's setting up for, like, a huge explosion, and soon the splitting of NWO. Yeah, we're gonna get to that soon. Yeah, we're, we're getting close. I think the split comes... A little later, we start to see those red and black uh, wolf pack jocks in some of these matches. Mm-hmm. They're coming out in separate limos where to see which is going to be wolf pack and which is Hollywood. Really, this is just a feud about t-shirts at the end of the day. Yeah, WCW, I'd say, is just, uh, what are they, a t-shirt company? Basically. Yeah. What a fucking big dick move, by the way. Scott Hall shows up to the first ever episode of Thunder wearing a Nitro t-shirt. <laughs> it's amazing. 
So Thunderbolt to Bischoff in the middle of the ring talking with Mean Gene Okerlund. And they're talking about, like, what's going on? Um, what, why are you two coming out of limos? Why is everybody all pouty? And Eric Bischoff says, quote, you know, there's nothing wrong in any shape or form with NWO. And if you don't like that, you can take all your gaga and stick it. You know, the, that classic line <laughs> that in wrestling is like, if you don't like that, we got two words for you. Stick it. It's like he's so close. And he doesn't even know, you know, how close he came to being able to sue Triple H. Oh my god, it's like a whisper of a dream where Eric Bischoff <laughs> won a lawsuit for the rights to suck it. I, uh, it was so oh, close. Awesome. So close, yet so far away. So after, uh, after this, now we get another lightning cut to J.J. Dillon. He was a wrestler at one point. Later on in TNA, he became uh, like NWA ambassador, whatever the fuck that meant. <laughs> uh, who at this point is the, the president of the executive committee at WCW. And he's given the riot act to the referee of that Starcade main event, which is Nick Patrick. They almost spend the entire show talking about mm -hmm. real, you know, Hogan fuckery that we'll get to soon enough. Nick Patrick, by the way, you want to talk about great mullets in wrestling? Oh, this like, is an all-star mullet, Yeah, dude. if you get a chance, look up a picture of this guy because he is unbelievable to watch. God, it's like he could touch him. Touch his <laughs> greasy feel hair. the grease. <laughs> So, first thing we see on Thunder is the main event of Nitro, which I believe was last week, like December 28th. Yes. Macho Man getting beat by uh, Sexy Lexi Luger. And Luger rolls up Mach, gets him in a, you know, little, little roll up. <laughs> a little rolly lockup. <laughs> That's the technical term, right? Yeah, you know. Lex Luger with the long hair and yeah. the white boots, and he looks like shit. Lex Luger, he's, he's stacked. Here, but there is a part of it that just looks like he's not into it. You know? No, he's uh, he loses to Lex Luger, and he's not happy about it. And you know, he starts chugging it into the stairs, and you know, this brawl on the outside, like real off the wall, out of line stuff from from Mister Savage himself. And as he's getting ready to beat the crap out of him, Eric Bischoff is coming to try and defuse. Is like, hey, don't hit this doofus in the head with the chair. But no, he gets clobbered. I love Macho Man's mean mug when he's doing all of this. Well, his mean mug is just his regular mug, only he hides the insanity through a smile. We <laughs> all sunglasses, know. Sunglasses, yeah. <laughs> Macho without sunglasses is truly like, oh my god. I kind of like, you know, because now we're in seeing Hogan and Macho kind of like push each other after, you know, Hogan's trying to calm him down a bit. I was thinking to, you know, the mega powers explode. We're yeah, there's so much history. There's so much history between them. And even better, there was a guy dressed up like Hulk Hogan standing directly behind Hulk Hogan. <laughs> there's a guy at ringside who has Hulk Hogan's bleach blonde uh, handlebar mustache and his bandana and is a dead ringer for Hogan is incredible. Oh my god. It's, it looks it's like great. he came to ask if Hulk Hogan was his real father oh and he's god. like scared about the response <laughs> he could get. So he's just kind of looking at Hogan, longingly thinking about like what life they could have together, brother. 
there's an amazing moment uh, in this sequence where Hogan and Macho are at ringside kind of yelling at each other and they're pushing each other and Kevin Nash yeah, the saunters, other... saunters into the middle of the frame in between them and just kind of looks at both of them and then slugs Macho Man. It's incredible. Well, it's after, uh, after Macho kind of slaps Hogan and be like, no, nah, you're, not, you're not taking the piss out of me again, son of a bitch. Not in this company. But uh, yeah, we're starting to see like a redo of the Mega Powers exploding. Yeah, there's this sense that Kevin Nash is sort of looking around trying to figure out how to play this, wondering if he, you know, if he's going to be loyal to Hogan or Macho. But at the end of the day, you just sort of get the idea that he's thankful that he doesn't have to hang around with the one, two, three kid anymore. Oh, yes. like, not a, <laughs> it's not an issue. And Hogan's like, whoa, what's going on? What's happening? It's like, you really can't be that dense, right? What do you think is happening? Like, Macho is a fucking loose cannon. You know this. You worked with him for like 10 years. <laughs> My favorite thing about this match is that Macho Man's bald spot is so big that you could, like, cook an egg on it. It's oh, incredible. It... So anyway, now after this whole recap, we have coming out coming out of, like, the bottom half of the aggro crack. Yeah, it's this weird, like, faux stone Aztec cave entrance with a bunch of strobe lights in it that all the wrestlers come out of. There's this amazing camera work where it zooms in through this crack in the kind of faux stone facade and they are just blasting strobe lights directly into the camera. Strobe lights, smoke, like the whole the nine whole yards. The whole nine yards. They are going all out and out comes who, Nick? Uh, Chris Adams. Chris Adams, the man so nice they gave him two first names. And he comes into like this uh, John Williams adjacent superhero theme, and he uh, comes into like a sparkly little band uniform, like half of it. He's got like a, a North Ireland Freddie Mercury thing going on. Yeah, it looks like he was mustache. getting trained to do marching band, and then when the big game came, he could only find his top. <laughs> you know, so he's got like the epaulets, and but then no pants. It's a it's a, a silly look, I would say. It's a silly look, but who comes out of the aggro crag? It is Macho, Macho Man, Man Slim Jim Savage. The He's man here. Himself. He is looking especially orange. He's got this fabulous black and white NWO Macho Madness gear on. Vest, no shirt, sweaty as all shit. And on his arm, the lady herself, the first lady of wrestling, Miss Elizabeth looking just pretty as a picture, you know. She's well, coming straight out of like a rat music video. She has like the <laughs> she has the blonde trims in her hair, and, you know, she's like that sun bleached, like bit in Miami too long. Oh yeah, and there is this amazing moment as they're walking to the ring. Macho Man is uh, chirping with somebody in the crowd, but he's still trying to do all of his face shtick. Yeah. So he's like posing and getting the thumb up and pointing at people, you know. But then he's also like shit talking some of the hicks in the crowd. It's it's a strange message to be giving off. I'm not... It's also like I miss the uh, pomp and circumstance. Like he doesn't come into pomp and circumstance when he's in the NWO, and it's only next year, uh, literally like 1999, do we get his intro theme made for him called "What Up Match." Oh, it's so good, oh, yeah. It's awesome. Macho got really weird as the years went on, uh, and I think it's worth noting that as bizarre... For a man that started out who his gimmick was, he's a fucking lunatic. Yeah. Uh, a man like that getting weirder is not a good thing. I, it's only a sign of, like, what's to come. Mm -hmm. For most of these guys, actually, they just fucking go crazy mm -hmm. sooner or later. Yeah, so before the bell even rings, Macho immediately Pearl Harbor's Chris Adams... Uh, he begins beating him. He chokes him with what I think is his hat. 
Right? I, what did he, he do? He chokes him out with like his bandana. Yeah, he took me. something off and started immediately choking them with it, and then promptly tries to play with the ref like, what I do? It's a squash match. This Adams character gets no offense in. Mach gives him a really good uh, power slam, and then, you know, he keeps pulling his shoulders up so he doesn't get the count, and Savage is just beating the crap out of him. He's getting potatoed by Macho Man this whole match. Look. Yeah, it's... Oh my god. It's rough. It's rough to watch. The crowd is not having any of it. Yeah, so if you're interested, the first ever match on WCW Thunder is a heel beating up a generic baby face and nobody knows who to cheer for and the whole thing is just miserable. Like, Macho does a lot of kind of hot-dogging in the middle of the ring. Like, he's getting down on one knee and making a lot of eye contact with the ref. Like, man, I can't believe you're yelling at me right now even though I just cheated to open up this show. You could land a flying saucer on Macho Man's bald spot here. It's just incredible. And <laughs> let's, oh my god. Uh, shout out to the WCW cameraman who captures an amazing shot of Macho Man kind of standing outside the ring and then out of nowhere sprinting in from off frame comes Lex Luger with his steel chair who just batters Macho he with it. It's amazing. And he gets him right square in the head too. Yeah, I'll Actually you, right on his bald spot. I cracked up when Lex Luger comes sprinting in from off frame. It is amazing. It's like a cartoon. It's like he's totally lost. He doesn't know what to do. But Lex Luger gives uh, Chris Adams the time to pin him after, you know, Luger rolled him back in and uh, goes for the three count and he wins. Chris Adams beats Macho. Yeah. Yeah, so you end up having Macho getting beaten, and then out comes, is it J.J. Dillon? Yeah, out comes Dillon this again. This fucking guy. The first match on WCW Thunder is a job match yeah. where Chris Adams get the shit kicked out of him by Randy Savage, Randy and the decision is overturned by J.J. Dillon. So we are less than... 15 minutes into the first episode of this TV show, and already the first ever wrestling match on a wrestling show has to have the call overturned by the chairman of the company. Yeah. This is not, this does not bode well for the rest of the sort of legitimacy of these contests. It's not good. I say it a bunch, dude, but it's peak WCW. Peak WCW, it really is. I promise you Chris Adams isn't coming back next week like, I beat Macho Man, give me a fucking title shot. Like, no, no, no way. This is the, this is the last time we, we see this boy. But, uh, good on him. He gets a pin on, yeah. on him. He gets a pin on Mach. And then, Lightning Bolt to Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah, excuse me. Hollywood oh, Hulk Hogan. Me. Hogan is coming into the ring, you know, looking like just a glistening roller dog at 7-Eleven. He's got his little black wrestling dickie on that he's cut slits into the back <laughs> of, so he's more aerodynamic when he's flexing. Coming in with Eric Bischoff looking like a Melissa Etheridge protagonist <laughs> with his leather jacket and his mom jeans. And then we hear the N-W-O. That sounds just like it. Incredible. I wrote the song, you know. <laughs> My name is John N-W-O. You might have heard of me. Hogan comes out, Bischoff follows him, and he's giving a nice little mwah. Yeah, Hogan smooches Bischoff, and Bischoff, Bischoff puts his hand over his turtlenecked heart and just sort of swoons over Hogan. Oh, well, well, what do we make of Bischoff's kind of like 
square up to me, young man, kind of old-timey punching stance that he's got going. It's absolutely fitting for the uh, for the match that we're going to see later tonight with Larry Sabisco. There's an amazing moment as Hogan is walking down the ramp to get into the ring for this match uh, where he picks up a fan sting mask and sort of goes, I'm sorry, Sting! Oh my god, it is amazing. Uh, this segment, he's going to go in the ring and talk about how he got screwed over in this match because of a slow count. Which is not true. Yeah, it, it's just basically more WCW bullshit. Can we talk about what a testament to it is that Hogan is coming down the ramp here for WCW Thunder first ever episode. And despite the gimmick change, he's not like doing anything different. No. You know, it's... It's still Hogan, but it's like palette swap Hogan, you know? It's have Hogan! A, like watching it's... Hogan have a bitch fit about yes. he didn't get the count he wanted, and he wants a rematch with Sting, and then he goes, All the beautiful Daytona Beach ladies knew you beat Sting, Hulkster! Oh my god. And uh, they're gonna see the slow count on NWO Thunder! Uh, fuck, this hurts my throat. You never beat the man. You bow to my feet, kiss my toes, because everyone knows that I be's the champion. And like, oh, even that's very good. Even Bischoff is looking like he's like, can't believe talking about talking about toes and sucking feet. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Fucking, like, like, oh, fuck. it, it's a face of like. What are you doing? It is it is the it is the ramblings of a man who's had enough cocaine to convince himself that everything he says is awesome. So we uh, Thunderbolt then goes to a, uh, a WCW Saturday Night commercial. Now I never watched those, huh? and uh, there's a robot arm putting together like a robot wrestler, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh shit, WCW is building a RoboCop army so they can bust their main eventers out of cages. Which is funny because RoboCop does show up in WCW. Yes, he does. He busts Sting out of jail, out of uh, out of cartoon it's jail. It's awesome. It's great. Uh, <laughs> I'm generous on the word great. <laughs> it's a broad description. But, you know, quality aside, you'll love to see it. Oh, of course. Of course. So now Thunderbolt transition to Iron Mike Tanay interviewing J.J. Dillon. So for those keeping score at home, there have been the same number of authority figures on TV so far in the first episode of WCW Thunder as there have been wrestlers. And um, maybe about two minutes total of wrestling. Uh, but he comes out and has decided to reverse the decision of the Chris Adams Macho Man match. You want to know what I do for all of the bullshit WWE gets nowadays? If the ref fucks up, right, due to, like, heel interference, the decision is still final, you know? Yeah. You never see WWE coming up being like, we're overturning the decision of this match. That very rarely happens nowadays, and in WCW... It happens on the first episode of their show. But in this segment, this kind of blows my mind. It comes up the entirety of the episode. But J.J. Dillon is talking about fines and suspensions. Yeah. Could you was... imagine fines now? There's something like so kind of old school Southern wrestling about that that I really enjoy, actually, where it gives this sense that, like, you know, for all of the kind of, like, inmates running the asylum problems that WCW has had, had in their yeah. history and and will have in the the three years after this something they always did really well was was be transparent about the fact that we are trying to simulate like a sporting contest right yeah. and that we are still beholden to the athletic and gaming commissions of each different state it, so i kind of i kind of like this like i'll 
I, I wouldn't mind more of this in modern-day WWE, for example. Yeah, this is one of their strongest They're They're suits. trying to present it more as, like, an adult sporting product. But then again, that's all torn down when, you know, the yeah, segment guys. immediately preceding this is Hulk Hogan, you know, hot-dogging and grandstanding and ripping his shirt open. And, and then J.J. <laughs> Dillon comes out and he's like, Oh, uh, yeah, so fines need to be levied and we're going to overturn the... Like, you know, he's talking like Bud Selig. It's, it's yeah. like... Kind of a strange dichotomy that they never really get sorted this episode. Before he, um, as he talks about it, who comes out? Lex Luger. Lex Sexy Lexi. Lex Luger comes out and then, you know, when we were talking about, like, he, whenever he does, like, a face promo, he just is completely like a deer in headlights. He's a brick. Yeah. You know, and, and, and as a fellow Western New Yorker, I feel the need to defend Lex Luger at a lot of stages. But this isn't like Narcissus, you know? No. This, this isn't is... Bobby Heenan, like, you know, getting on his knees in front of Lex, like, oh my god, show me more. Like, this is like WCW Lex. He looks like he's there just to collect a paycheck. He no interest in what's this going is, on. Uh, no limits. No limits. No limits, Lex Luger, which I, I have no idea what that was about. Either that was like a clothing brand or something, you know, wrestler related, but I, I still have no fun. It's sort of ironic in a way, because when you consider Lex Luger's in-ring ability, he's... He has a lot of Very limited, yes. Okay, so yeah, this was like a whole bunch of bullshit, but the best is like when Lex goes like, I've had it up to here with Macho Man and NWO, and it's like, he stares straight at the camera, he stares straight at the camera, but when he has it... When he says up to here, it just goes right to eye level. It's just like there's a little bit more room for bullshit than yes. to tolerate. It is incredible that this is in general a very dry and boring segment that is bombarded by Lex Luger just screaming into the camera. And Lex's uh, promo delivery, while not good, is the best, like, coked out, shouty, roidy promo Easily on this show, I think. When, Lexa. Remember when uh, Ric Flair was like, yeah, we, we did a whole bunch of painkillers. Well, it shows. Promos. Oh, it I believe shows. it. I believe it. But uh, let's go. Let's actually <laughs> let's go to uh, an actual wrestling match this time. Our next match, we have Louis Spicoli. Oh God! Coming out of the crag. God mode. A little, a little deep dive into Louis Spicoli. Yeah, Nick, who is Louis Spicoli? Because I saw Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and I don't remember him looking like that. Uh, I remember him looking a little bit more like Sean Penn, and looking less like Chris Farley's half brother that they keep in the attic. So here's the thing about Louis Spicoli. His big gimmick in WCW is that he was the inventor or the innovator. Of the Death Valley Driver. So which one is it? Uh, he is neither. Did he innovate? He's neither. <laughs> he is neither. Uh, the inventor of the Death Valley Driver is Joshi wrestler Etsuko Nika. What? Nita. Yes. Of the Joshi tag team in Mexico. The Oriental Bitches. I refuse to believe that. No, it's true. So you're telling uh, and, me. Oh, and this is the same company. This is, uh, guess who it is? Is it Stardom? That's AAA. Oh, oh, in Mexico, of in Mex course. Yeah, because yeah, uh, yeah, Louis Spicoli, yeah. innovator of the Death Valley Driver. He was the first white guy to ever do it. He started his career in WWF as a jobber. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. He's not a jobber anymore? Well, his career takes a couple of uh, <laughs> interesting, interesting twists and turns. I'd say. Uh, then he went to Tijuana under the alias Madonna's Boyfriend. You know, what? Did, yeah. Google Louis Spicoli and... Uh, there is a treasure. This man contains multitudes. Oh, yeah. Body of Adonis. Uh, went to... <laughs> 
Ramadonis, Re- regular... if you will. <laughs> dude, that's regular... wordplay. That's very funny. Oh, dude, you see, our theater degrees are paying off. Pay it off. That's that BA right there. That quick wit. So he did a bunch of stint in the indies, including uh, Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling, in which he got fired for tossing a bottle of piss out of the tour bus. What, what the fuck? <laughs> Where is the movie about this guy? Uh, it would be very short, we'll find out. Because in 1995, <laughs> he went back to the WWF and did an angle with the body Donnas, despite looking like fucking Andy Richter on Crank. Uh, under the grunge-loving alias Rad Radford. Isn't that the villain in an extremely goofy movie? No, that's Bradley Uppercrust Third. Brad Radford sounds equally... That that's man. a witness protection name if I have ever heard it. That is unfortunate. What's your first name? Rad... What's your last name? Radford. <laughs> All right. So uh, get out there and lose the sting. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the movie for him would be very short because uh, he died of an overdose of painkillers at 27 years old. Oh, that's not funny. So is this one of Louis Spicoli's last appearances? You are right. This would be one of his last appearances because he died February 15th, 1998, soon after he goes back to the WWF so and does an angle with the body Donnas. This is almost one month to the day of his death. Yeah. Louis Spicoli. Which really sucks because, see, in the middle of the ring, he jumps up, he does a little rocky jump, he tugs his ear and says, I love you, Mom. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. That really... Talk about a really shitty start to the show where we only have two minutes of wrestling and a guy who says, I love you, Mom, living a lie, and then dies a month later. Oh, Christ. Boy, he lived and died as a mark. When did Taker start doing the Death Valley Driver? Uh, That's like American Badass era around then? Yeah. Or is it, no way he did the, the DDV before Undertaker, right? Like, uh, let's, there's let's no way Taker, out. like, saw Luis Spicoli and was like, wow, what a good move. That guy's a wrestler I could take pointers from. Like, um, let's see what Reddit has to say about it. On Squared Circle, the post is deleted. So, so... Dude, somebody is trying to like, teach the controversy. Uh, someone is actively trying to rewrite history to make Louis Spicoli the actual inventor of the Death Valley Driver. Dude, maybe Louis Spicoli is editing these pages. What if Louis Spicoli faked his own death? That would be... To get out of W's. Maybe he owed money to Eric Bischoff. Uh, on a positive note, who comes out of the aggro crag next but the model, Rick Martel. Rick Martel looking more and more like Rick Rude by the minute. He looks fucking He great. looks so good, and you want to know what? He's in amazing shape. He still looks like he can go, and he is wearing a black jacket that is apparently exclusively made out of hefty trash bags. <laughs> he is somehow... I never knew something could be black and shiny and reflective all at the same time. But it's like just... one half of a reflective zoot suit. Oh my god, he is amazing, and he is a wrestler. Yeah. Right? He comes out, this match starts, they ring the bell, Rick Martel takes his top off, locks up, and just looks like a fucking, a real Adonis. As opposed to Louis Spicoli, who looks like he just got back from getting milk, cigarettes, and lottery tickets. Louis Spicoli looks like the janitor at your school who constantly talks to you about how he used to be on the football team, and now he's cleaning poop off the toilet. Uh, Louis Spicoli is wearing sweatpants and a t-shirt here, and is, like, throwing... I, I don't want to be unkind to the dead, but 
his, right, his, we're all his here. punches are Shane McMahon esque. Yeah, they're they, not. They are they're catastrophic. Not but uh, in the middle of this match, after uh, <laughs> two drop kicks from Rick Martel, Luis Piccoli says, "Nah, fuck this. I'm out. I'm gonna yeah. go back to my mom." He starts clutching his back and gripping onto the faux stone lining around the ring. Which Spicoli kind of goes, Yeah, exactly. And as Rick Martel is in the ring getting ready to finish off the jobber, who appears walking through the crowd like an early version of the shield? Raven's Nest. Raven's Nest. That's uh, that's what uh, that's what Brain calls it. Brain calls it the Nest. The Nest. Which, that's, uh, that's not who they are. No, it's his uh, flock. Uh, but you've got Raven. I forget who's that. Who's that you've got Perry Saturn. Oh, that's the, right. Perry, Perry Saturn's Saturn is in this statement. You've got the lead singer for Sum 41. I totally forgot who the rest of his no, flock. Everybody in Raven's flock here mm -hmm. look like they just came out of like a Sugar Ray mm -hmm. video. Like, they fucking stink. Rick Martell gets a uh, body press onto Spicoli, who kicks out at two. Uh, Spicoli going for the Irish whip on Rick Martell. Goes, punches him right in the gut, and then walks away. He's got him right where he wants him. He's Second rope, the most do dangerous Do the double rope. axe handle, but then just gets smashed in the nuts like a goober. Yeah, Spicoli takes a flying nothing off Brett's rope and then gets punched directly in the dick by Rick Martel. Quality wrestling on the second ever match on Thunder here. It's just the same thing over and over again. It's yeah. Spicoli, Irish whips Martel, tries to do a move. Gets it countered. Rick Martell, Irish Whip Spicoli, hits him with a move, goes for the cover. But the match ends not with a cover, but um, Rick Martell does a pretty, you know, he's a pretty okay. He does an okay spine buster. And then at the end, yeah, it's not the Boston Crab, Andrew. Oh, no, it's the Quebec Crab. <laughs> the Quebec Crab? The Quebec Crab. Great wrestling in Quebec. <laughs> Lots of great wrestling in Quebec. Is is Rick Martel from... Is he Canadian? I I have no idea, but uh, Bobby Heenan says, quote, It's got that French blood boiling and you can't stop him sometimes. Maybe he is. Yeah, I'm sure. There is an amazing moment at the end of this match where the ref raises Rick's arm and Rick just has this shit-eating grin on his face. And then to the direct left of him, the referee looks like he's fucking petrified by something. And maybe it's Spicoli, you know? Maybe in this moment, the referee has seen a vision by touching Spicoli's sweat of how he's going to die. <laughs> so then we thunderbolt next to Scott Hall at Starcade, uh, defending Kevin Nash, not showing up. Kevin Nash and the giant Paul yes. Wright himself. Uh, they were supposed to have but, a match, because why bother going to Starcade, right? It's only your biggest event of your promotion. Scott Hall is the one defending somebody for not showing up? If Scott Hall is the more reliable member of the team, maybe take a closer look. Scott Hall, throughout this entire promo at Starcade, by the way, has one pointy strand of hair coming from his slicked back hair going directly down the front of his face and it looks like somebody doing the shittest Glenn Danzig impression it's I've ever seen. so fucking distracting. Oh yeah, he looks like he's gonna come out there and start singing Where Eagles Dare. Same old shit from Scott Hall. Just, I never lost essay. Like, just white guy doing bad Cuban accent. But even then, you know, now that he's in WCW, you can still drop it, but he still has the toothpick in his mouth. So it, it always, like, there's a little tinge of that Yeah, of there's that this weird, like, he, his original gimmick is that he's supposed to be this, like, Tony Montana ripoff. But then when he went to WCW and dropped the name and just went under Scott Hall, he was still doing the gimmick! Yeah. Like, it was still... He, it's like, 
he was like a cop that had gotten so far into the undercover aspect of it that he couldn't get out again. You know, Scott Scott Hall has fully serpicoed into the bad man at this point, and he can't get out. Paul White comes out. He he comes out. He's not even the giant anymore. He's no, just he's just giant. giant. And then Giant tells him, you know, Scott, you could tell Kevin Nash I'm a patient man. Uh, he'll wait for him to wrestle, but, quote, uh, he'll find out who's the real Giant. And Scott Hall is in the middle of the ring, like, he does, having like... a conniption He's fit, having right? a fit! He does, like, the Frankenstein walk, and you know, he's trying to make he's fun of him. He's jumping up and down and he's, yelling he's, shit at Big Show. He throws his toothpick at him. So Scott Hall throws his first toothpick into Paul White's face and then gets another no, toothpick out to flick a second one at it. And it's not even that far apart. It's like... No, it's one right he, after the other. It's, it's amazing. It's ten seconds. It's yeah. like toothpick, throw, toothpick, ha ha ha. fuck you. Then he starts punching uh, Giant, smacking him around. And then Paul gets his shit in. He lifts up Scott Hall, gives him a power slam that I felt from 20 years ago. <laughs> and, you know, he ends the promo giving Scott Hall a jackknife powerbomb. Like, we're, we're watching a little bit of this clip now, but look at how high he lifts him. Yeah, Big and Scott Show, Hall is not a small man. No, Scott Hall's neck, like, ricochets oh, off the mat, dude. and it is so scary to you, look at. You fucking ever see a grown man go splat. Yeah, this is it. Just terrifying. Oh, you, you hear that, Andrew? Oh, wh it's, what is it? It's the racist Asian stereotype music. Yeah! That means it's time for a New Japan match. Oh, wow! So, so, who, comes out, so who comes out of the aggro crag next, Andrew? It's Tenzon. Wow. The problem is the, the camera catches the fucking schmuck that's supposed to move the door open. Oh yeah, you can totally you can see, see the like, him. Star Trek original series guys on either side of the wall just moving them in and out. Because we watch a lot of New Japan and to see Hiroshi Tenzon, I got really excited. I was like, we are right. We got some wrestling. Uh, he comes out wearing his classic 90s mask with the bullhorns and the all-over cover on his eyes. He looks like a Toreador in a George Michael music video. He is just incredible. Yeah, he fucking rules. One of the greatest of all time. Master of the Mongolian Chop. Uh, he's got, you want to talk mullets. It is, I'm not doing justice trying to describe this haircut, but it is incredible. If you have an idea in your head of what a corny wrestler haircut would look like, Tenzon is wearing that haircut. It oh, is incredible. Yeah. Following Tenzon with Sonny Ono comes Ohara. And he, you know, I was unfamiliar with Ohara coming into this. I yeah, I had no idea who Ohara was, but he's a he's a New Japan wrestler. That's all, you know, they all, that's all they gave us. And then I think on an episode of Nitro, and then he tried to join in uh, NWO, but unfortunately... They said, nope. They said no. And they, and they spray paint. Well, you know how they told him, Andrew? They spray painted dog on his back. Can you imagine, by the way, getting told by NWO were full? The group that admitted everybody that ever wanted to be in it? Off to a great start with the uh, the... Stereotype music. 
But then when they actually wrestle, you get like an actual hard hitting strong. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a J- Japan coming to America to show what their style of wrestling is. We are big getting chops, a big hits. classic Japanese hoss match. These are two thick daddies that are gonna run into each other for ten minutes until one of them falls down. Most of this match is punch, kick, strike, chop. But the only thing I could take away from this match is that. Giovanni and Merritt don't fucking shut up. Yeah, they talk through the entire match. And they're not even talking like who these wrestlers that American audiences probably aren't familiar with. Like who they are, what their deal is, why they're even fighting in the first place. Instead, they're like pitching pay-per-views and talking about upcoming matches on the show. Not only that, during this match, they're talking about... Potentially Randy Savage or Lex Luger getting fined or suspended. Yeah, guys we already saw. It's like, way to tell us that this doesn't fucking mean anything. They basically do everything other than call this match between two good wrestlers, right? Like, it is constant chatter and noise and small talk, and they're not saying anything. No, it's just saying absolutely nothing. Uh, but yeah, Tenzon looked good in his uh, Vera Steakhouse. Yeah, yes. his cow trunks, they were great. Tenzon kills a man on national TV with the scoop slam tombstone and then a flying headbutt. Yeah, it's coast. so cool seeing like a real match, even if it is like only a third of one. Now our, our next Thunderbolt transports us to a recap of Nitro, where uh, Flair is harping on Brett and he wants because he wants a match with him. And this is shorter than the promo that they're going to have later in the night. And Brett you know, says, I'm the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And if you don't like that, that's too bad. That's <laughs> so, he's so Canadian. When Brett Hart enters the ring here and he goes up to cut his promo, he looks like he could not give less of a shit. You know, Brett was supposed to be kind of the face of Thunder. And really? One of Eric Bischoff's, like, stipulations to get the show made was that they were going to sign Bret Hart months after the Montreal Screwjob. So Brett could be the signature face of Thunder. But of course, you know, it doesn't really work out for Brett here. Obviously, he ends up leaving pretty soon, so nothing really ever happens with him. But who comes out of the aggro crag next? The Wizard of Bubbly. It's Chris Jericho, another great Canadian. Chris Jericho comes out fresh as a daisy. Yes, he has golden flowing locks. They cut to Raven's flock kind of staring at him from ringside. And he has his fucking dry cleaning with him. Yes, it's amazing. It, it's absolutely awesome. But what's even more awesome is that he comes out to the ring, and on Thunder, he cuts the same promo he did two weeks prior to this episode. Yes, word for word, the same promo he cut on Nitro, apparently. The announcers immediately clock it. They're like, this is where we heard this before. Thing is, though, he's still over, like, a million dollars. Yeah, he, he, even in this small segment, like, he's feuding with Raven here, and he's kind of schmucky, and, you know, he's lower down on the card. You, looking at Chris Jericho in this promotion, you can tell. He's a megastar. There was something that really struck me when I was watching this segment. What? Is that Chris Jericho looks so much like a young Paul Rudd, it's almost scary. Dude. Yeah, yeah and I just like it. him. I can see it. So, following Jericho comes out Ric Flair. Woo! 
Whereas the announcers say, whoa! <laughs> Bobby Heaton, the other two dopes, it's like, woo! <laughs> it's the lamest woo I've ever heard. It's, it's like ghosts trying to get through a small crack in a window. <laughs> I just want to I just want to mention um, Chris Jericho. He has fully marinated. He's done. Yeah. yeah. This wrestler is ready to go out into the world and find his fortune. That is a wrestler that has been in the flesh centrifuge. His bits got separated and then mushed back together again, and he is a done wrestler. He looks great, super fast. He's incredible. He, he has did. a great match with Flair this episode, too. They both get their shit in. Flair does some cheating. Chris Jericho hits a lion salt. Like, it's a, it's like a good match. Yeah, but this match was really good. Just nothing really big happens. They have a... You know, a couple punch and kicks. Um, Rick sells his knee. Jericho's coming to make sure, like, are, are you all right? And then fucking Flair uh, pokes him in the eye. You would be surprised at this point wrestlers don't have scouted. Right. Right. They, they've seen Ric Flair do this for 20 years at this point, And they're still like, I can't believe you would poke me in the eye. Ric Flair kicked me in the dick. Like, I, I, oh, shocked. How do you, not, you know this is his MO. He's Sh open about it. Shocked and chagrined. Eventually, you know, he's going to learn a lot from Flair, I think, in terms of being able to stay relevant throughout decades of pro wrestling. Jericho, I think, may have that a little up on Flair. Because Ric Flair has always been, like, I'm he's the, been si Ric Flair I'm the, the 16-time world champion. Yeah. You know, I'm a cultural like Chris Jericho has changed his gimmick every year for the last 20 years. And you're, it's true, because Ric Flair is a unique case where he did stay relevant for, like, three years in pro wrestling. But he was Ric Flair the whole time. You know, he never did anything different. But, you know, Jericho's got some years to catch up with him. He is absolutely solid in this but uh you gotta give it to rick got him in figure four chris jericho taps out as soon as rick puts the oh yeah on. the minute the figure four is in chris is like i'm done i'm out i gotta go to nitro in like three days can't get mad at that one no yeah, not at all not at all quite literally lost for the best Hey, you made it! Two marks, one $30 microphone, 45 minutes, and countless hard cuts later, and we made it past the first episode. Well done, everybody. I'm proud of the work we did here today. Thank you so much for sticking around for the first episode of Welcome to Thunderdome. Uh, we weren't kidding. The debut episode of WCW Thunder is a long one, so we decided to split the first episode in half and drop the second half next week. Because Thunder would broadcast on Thursdays, uh, we will drop episodes of Welcome to Thunderdome also on Thursdays, probably uh, once every two weeks, maybe two and a half weeks. If you want to follow us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, we are at ThunderdomeCast. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you next week. Bye!